Have you ever done that thing where you accidentally watch something on television? You know what I mean? Going in, you had no intention of sitting through it, but somehow you made it from start to finish, and you're not sure exactly what happened. You were bored, and you were probably too lazy to find anything else, and then you look up and the show's over. Well, I remember a while back watching this sci-fi crime show that involves some kind of future police force. And the episode centered around a man who had total recall. He could remember everything that he had ever experienced in his life. Every word he'd read, every song lyric he'd heard, every delicious meal he'd eaten. And on the surface, it seems like an extraordinary gift. Almost a superpower. Read a text and remember it perfectly? I can only imagine where I would be right now if I had that gift in high school. But alas, here we are. And yet, a perfect memory, yes, it ensures that you remember every bite of every amazing meal you've ever eaten. But it also means you remember the taste of every horrible thing you've ever eaten. Every argument, every terrifying moment, the insults, the trials, the betrayals in graphic detail. You're a constant swirl of remembrance. The gift could just as easily be a curse. At least it was for the guy who had this gift on the TV show I watched. But I can't blame him. I mean, think about it. There are things you and I would pay good money to forget. Our brains are already so crowded with thoughts and memories to recall every moment of life would feel like drowning. But still, most of us wish our memories were stronger. There are things we would very much like to hold on to, but it seems we don't have a choice in the matter. Some stuff sticks, other stuff fades away. So the question is, can anything be done about this? Well, I think it's simple. Honestly, all you have to do... Wait. Well, I don't remember where I was going with this. What if I told you that your life right now is worth noticing? This is the Attention Collection. I'm Anthony Garcia. Maybe the brain is designed to forget information, but that's not my opinion. These are words from Ron Davis, a respected voice from Scripps Research Institute. And it sounds odd at first, mainly because when we think of the brain, we think of a storage center, not an incinerator. But research suggests that the brain has to prioritize information at all times. And therefore, it has to get rid of things deemed unimportant. The question, though, is who gets to push the buttons up there? And if you've ever lost your keys or misplaced your purse or wallet, you know exactly what I'm talking about. It would be really nice to be able to select which memories we want to hold on to and which ones we want to drag and drop in the trash bin. But that's not how life works. At least, that's not how my life works. In an earlier episode of this podcast, 
the one entitled Negativity Sticks, Beauty Needs Velcro, I talked about this in a similar fashion. I talked about how negative experiences tend to stick with us while positive, helpful ones tend to slip away. I'm going to talk about something very similar, but in a different vein, the vein of our memory and how it works. It seems we need help remembering. Perhaps this is why we create holidays, like Memorial Day. It's an attempt at collective remembrance. People set aside certain days on a calendar to intentionally recall things deemed important. It's in part because we don't fully trust ourselves to remember. Whether the reason we forget is a natural, spontaneous process, something more mechanical, or a combination of the two can be left to the professionals. We'll take that out of our hands. For the rest of us, we just know there's a breakdown. There's a loss of connection that happens somewhere behind the scenes. We don't really have to know how it works to find ways to hack the system, though. We just have to pay attention. Let me explain what I mean. For our purposes, I'm not interested in how to better remember complex math equations or sports statistics or who won what war and when. That stuff can be Googled later. I'm interested here in remembering things that connect us to other people. The moments that moved us or stirred us, the little events that would actually grow to be quite big in our own minds if they were given the chance to survive. We've been in the presence of wonderful people. We've had wonderful experiences, but the busyness and the abundance of mental noise in our lives can take center stage while those things decay in the corners of our mind. That's just how it works. They fall apart. Sometimes it's up to us to put them back together. Think about the word remember itself. It's right there. To remember something. We know what it means to dismember, to divide something, to cut it into pieces. Seeing our memories through this lens redefines what it means to remember. It implies reconnection. It, it, it says disparate pieces can be rejoined. It also implies action and participation. We don't know how memories fall apart. We don't know really why they disappear. But we do know that we can have a hand in reconnecting the pieces. We do this accidentally all the time. You smell something that immediately transports you somewhere or with someone. You taste something and all of a sudden you're a child again. It's that ice cream cone, it's that specific flavor, it's this recipe that pulls you back to a space and time. That happens without our hand. But you can also do this intentionally. We do it when we listen to music, when we put on a song from our childhood, or when we pull out an old t-shirt that we wore in a certain place and time. We transport ourselves to different memories. We have some agency. But I think it would be helpful to explore other ways we can do this. Other ways we can intentionally put our memories back together. The first obvious option is a journaling practice. 
I've talked about this many times on the podcast. It's not something I'm phenomenal at, but it's something that has been increasingly more important in my life. Putting your thoughts on paper, putting those experiences to paper is a kind of time travel. Because if you come back weeks or months or even years to something you've written down, at first it feels a little bit like reading someone else's writing. You might not even recognize it. But then all of a sudden, past experiences begin to reform right in front of you. You can suddenly recall how you felt in that moment, what that experience did to you. It can be something profound, it can be something mundane, but you're snapped back to that moment. That's one way to remember. Another way to remember is through storytelling. Recounting the story of your family, the story of where you came from, can help you be mindful of where you're going. That sounds cliche, and it is, but it's actually true. Even when we share our painful stories, the stories of our failures and our mistakes can help us remember who we've been which doesn't always feel good in the moment, but that can help us to decide who we want to become because we don't have to repeat history. But you are almost guaranteed to repeat the history that you refuse to remember. It's just human nature. When I share stories of my mom to my kids who never got the chance to know her, it's enriching to them because they get on some level their own personal backstory. But it's also helpful to me to remember because I can very easily slide into forgetfulness in terms of my own family story and the story of my mom. And so when I'm sharing her story, I'm sharing their story and I'm reconnecting to my own story. And the beautiful thing about this is it's natural. Storytelling is naturally what humans do, but it's also something that we have to do intentionally. It's something of a practice. Some of us are better storytellers than others, and it's not a competition, but the better we get at sharing our own story, the more we'll connect to it, and the more we'll remember what matters to us and the stuff that's beautiful, even through the moments of pain. Another way to remember is through ritual. There are multiple reasons why religious communities get together on a certain day every week, but one of them is absolutely to remember, to remember why they believe, to remember certain values, certain intentions, certain postures they want to hold in the world. The same is true for family game night or a recurring gathering of friends. It's to say We do certain things at certain times to remember what it's all about, to remember why we care in the first place, to remember what's important and valuable to us. Ritual is so meaningful, and we can create our own personal rituals. We can put rituals in our individual lives. We set certain time aside in certain spaces to do certain things as a practice in remembering. I'm going to go in my office at this time every week to journal, or I'm going to put on music and sit here in this space for this time because I want to reconnect. Whatever ritual looks like for you, there's no wrong way to do it. Well, that's not true if you're doing like ritual sacrifice or something, but that's, I'm sure you're not going to do that. Anyhow, the point is 
Remembering happens all the time. It happens out of the blue, it happens when we least expect it, and sometimes the best memories just show up out of nowhere. And we definitely don't want to get rid of that because it's like this bonus experience that happens in life. It's great, but we can actually choose to remember. We don't have to just wait for it to happen. But in order to do this, we have to be awake while our lives are happening, and we have to be attentive enough to our own existence to document and to revisit it as often as possible. Remembering is a practice. That's it. That's the podcast. I hope you don't want to forget it. And if not, share it with somebody. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts. And if you haven't already, join us on Instagram and on Facebook. We would love to connect with you there. If not, I'll talk to you next week.